I want to preach a message this morning called, There's Someone Behind You, There's Someone Ahead. There's someone behind you with someone ahead. We're investigating this idea that the call of God uh, on us, that he's laid on us, might last beyond our time. It was certainly going on before we arrived here. God has been calling people, and there is this rich three and a half, four thousand year history of men and women who've been serving our God, doing unbelievable things on his behalf. And uh, the scripture says there's this great cloud of witnesses that have gone on before. And I don't know how long uh, God is going to let history continue, the history of men before he wraps it up, but I'm pretty sure it's going to go on for a little while. And so I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses from my past, but but I also believe that there are some people in the future that God wants us to work with and hand over. Now, in a, a relay race, one of the most crucial parts of that race is how you pass the baton. Teams have lost races and places uh, on the podium because of a poor execution of the handover. Uh, in the 2016 Olympics, the Japanese team came in second and not a single one of their runners broke it could run 100 meters under 10 seconds, which is laughable because Shane Bolt and, the, and his team were the favorites to win and they, 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 the Japanese team beat them because they were better at this than Shane Bolt's team. The smooth transition of that baton needs both parties to be willing. And more than just willing, it needs both parties to be deliberately and actively engaged. Uh, there is a zone in which the handoff must take place and that it's optimal. Both people have to be running the same pace. Both have to be watching the other. Both have to be deliberate about what they do. And sometimes in my walk with the Lord, I get so locked into what I want to do and what I feel like he's called me to do that I, I, I don't look up and see other people running with me. And I don't look up and see people that I need to hand over to and people who are behind me who have some advice for me. It's easy to get locked into my own little world. And I feel like there's a call in the spirit. And what the Lord's trying to do, I think, through this series is go, hey, would you just expand your heart a little? Would you lift your eyes a little higher? Because there are some people around you. There's some people behind you. And there's some people in front of you that I want you to work with. It can't be too soon that I hand over. It can't be too late. We have to both be up to speed. And we both have to stretch our arms out towards the other. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. So I've been looking at instances where values and understandings and the callings of God can be passed on to the next generation. A few weeks ago, I spoke about this and the ideas of honor and trust. And I want to circle back there just for a moment because there were some practical things that I think need to be said that I didn't have time to say in that one. Let me just go back there for your understanding to remind us all. We spoke to the children and said that honor is the primary vehicle of inheritance. Honor is the primary vehicle of inheritance. If you want to inherit from those who've gone before you, you have to honor them. And when you honor them, that honor of them releases an inheritance. Jesus said, if you honor a prophet because they are a prophet, you will receive the reward from the prophet. If you honor a righteous person because they are righteous, you will receive the righteous reward. Whatever you honor, you can receive an inheritance from. So we said it in these words. You, we will have an inheritance from what we consistently honor. 
and we will have no inheritance from what we consistently dishonor. The moment I dishonor somebody, I can ride in on the back of those I honor. And everything that they've accomplished, every step forward that they've taken, every inch of ground they've taken at the tip of their sword and at the, at, in the heart of their own faith, and they've trusted God and they've pushed back darkness and they've made inroads. If I honor them, I can get all of that for free. I don't have to fight for it. I get it by inheritance. The inheritance is something somebody else worked for. I get it for free. But when I honor them, I ride in on their back. The moment I dishonor them, I step off that. And now if I want to advance, I have to do it at the tip of my own sword. The tragedy of many, many generations is that through dishonor, we start back at the starting point where we could have started where our, the previous generation ended. It's astounding to see how much healing was being released in these United States in the 40s and the 50s, 1940, 1950. There was supernatural healing being delivered to the church by the Holy Spirit. Eight or nine, 10, 11, 12 healing evangelists would travel the country. Miracles and healings and signs and wonders were happening. And, it, and the pushback from the church became so strong through dishonor, the next generation hardly saw anything. God was beginning to bring back this understanding to the church. And if we could have just learned and honored and, and dealt with that reality, I know there were some weird things. Do you think you're perfect? Every time somebody does anything in the kingdom, we go, oh, but look at that. Well, the only person God could use if he was going to use anyone perfect was Jesus. The rest of us, he's stuck with some knots and some warts. Oh, 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 I saw a wart. Yeah, of course you saw a wart because God uses people with clay dust in their beats. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Stop pointing at the earthen vessel. I've discovered he's got clay feet. Well, yeah, I could have told you that a long time ago. Of course he's got clay feet. The only kind of feet the Holy Spirit anoints. But I digress. We come back to my message. If you understand that, that honor is the vehicle of inheritance, that that's the way God releases inheritance. And so if you want an inheritance from those who've gone before, make up your mind to honor them. And when you honor what is honorable, you will receive that into your life as an inheritance. You don't have to fight for it. So I want to say to the young people, young people, if you just give me your attention, honor those who are older than you with questions. Ask those who are older than you for stories. I know you go, oh, if they could, uh, they, every time I'm with them, they tell me their stories. Ask them for advice. I can't breathe without advice. Ask them for perspective. Now, see, here's the problem. Can, I, can we just talk a little bit? When you, when you, when you too, God gifts a two-year-old with I, I just back off, I can do it myself. Because if he didn't, we would still be carrying our 12-year-olds around and feeding them. You know, it's, it's God gifts a two-year-old, just can you back off? Let me try and do it myself. And then he does it again when they hit the teenage years. 
just, can she just give me a little space to breathe? Because I'm convinced that if he didn't, we would smother them. So some of that is necessary to, to create independence, to create the sense of, I, I, let me try it, I, I'll take it on. And, and that, that assumption of some responsibility as well as the authority is a helpful, necessary part of growing up into adulthood. But the problem with that is we push away from our parents and if you don't grow up quick enough to learn that your parents have so much inheritance to give you, if you constantly just push away and push away, all you're doing is you're saying, I want no inheritance from you. And you start again at the beginning because you get nothing of what they could teach you. And you have to learn it yourself at the tip of your own sword. But you could have an inheritance. There are some things that Michelle and I have earned in the spirit bled for, fought for, believed God for, they become Nicole's inheritance right for free. She doesn't have to work for it. She doesn't have effort for it. It's her inheritance because she's honored us. So I want to say to the young people, make an appointment with somebody who's older than you that you respect and give them the dignity of saying, could I take you to coffee? I have a few questions I'd like to ask you. I don't know anybody who would say, oh, no, no, I don't have time. We will make time because it's so rare for a younger person to do that. So young people, I dare you. I, you, you may not think it now, but what I wouldn't give to have my father back for a couple of hours so I could have coffee with him and just talk. Because some of the things my dad said when I was too young to understand that he was making sense, now I go, eesh, that man knew his stuff. And some of you, your, your parents are still alive. They're still around. Take them to coffee. Ask them questions. Can you tell me about how God's moved in your life? How did you come to another Lord? What is he saying to you? How is he calling? How do you hear his voice? Ask your parents questions. And honor them with finances. Well, what, are you, what are you saying, Greg? I'm just saying Timothy 5 says, for widow as children and grandchildren, they should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. I found this out. The scripture says in Ephesians 5, find out what pleases God. So I did a study. And one of the things that shocked me was it said, you should repay your parents. That's pleasing to God. Parents, we, we said trust is the primary mechanism of heritage. If you want a heritage, if you want your, those who follow you to take what you have, to take the corner and the things that matter to you and push them further forward, then you have to trust them and believe in them because if you consistently doubt them, they will find the, their growing strength and their passion to do something good for God, but you won't trust them and you don't believe in them. They say, you know what, I can't, I can't live, I can't breathe in this space and they'll leave you and go ahead and do what God's called them to do, but they won't be doing doing it in your name, they won't be carrying on your heritage. They will be on their own name in their own place. Trust is the primary mechanism of heritage, and we will have a heritage from what we consistently believe in, 
we will have no heritage from what we consistently doubt. So I want to say to the older people, would you set the younger people up for success, for adventure, and for spotlight? Could you give your children something to do that feels like it's, that they start to doubt that you know what you're doing? Like, seriously, you want me to, I'm not sure I could do that. When else did you give your kids something like that? Set them up for success. You know, sometimes as a leader, this is the hardest thing to do because I've worked hard and I've teed it up and I know I'm about to hit a success and I go, why don't you stand up and say that? Because it's teed up for success. Now they stand up and everyone goes, whoa. When last did you give somebody who's learning, who's younger, an opportunity to shine, an opportunity to stand in the spotlight? All right. Now this morning's message. But no. I want to look at Paul's life and what he wrote as he was finishing his race. Paul had come to the end of his life and he's writing to Timothy and he writes the book of 2 Timothy and right after he writes the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is put to death. And he's writing it from a dark and damp Roman prison cell in about AD 67 and he knows his time is near. Right at the end of his ministry, And he writes to Timothy, who's been his son, who's traveled with him on his second and third missionary journey, who Paul's favorite church was the church at Ephesus. He stayed there longer than anywhere else. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry. He'd stayed there longer than anyone else, and he'd left Timothy there, and Timothy was leading the church in Ephesus. About four years earlier, He'd written first Timothy to Timothy to say, hey, come on, you can stand, you know, be bold, step into all the call of God on your life. And now he's knowing he's about to go. He writes this book back. He doesn't, he sort of expects to see Timothy because he says, hey, would you come and visit me? And um, would you bring my cloak that I left at that place and some parchment for me so I can write some letters. And he goes, if you could come before winter, that'd be cool because the cloak would be helpful in winter because the Roman prison wasn't, a, wasn't known for its compassion. It- Paul had written to Timothy and he said, listen, fight the good fight of the faith and run your race with perseverance. And now he writes to Timothy and he says, I have fought my fight. I have finished my race and now there is in store for me the victor's crown of glory so let me read it to you second timothy 4 for i'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near i have fought the fight i have finished the race i have kept the faith now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award me on that day not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing So what advice does Paul give? Because this is Paul in his moment of understanding, I'm about to hand over one more time the baton and then I'm out of here. And what advice does he give? So this letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, is full of injunctions about 
this is what you need to do, and I'm going to try and touch on some of those as time allows. But I want to start here in chapter 2, where Paul calls for Timothy to commit himself to beginning to develop other people. And it's that strange and rare balance between the person who sacrifices themselves in order to liberate and prepare others, and then somebody who pursues and runs their own race well. Uh, but that's just what Jesus did, right? He came and, and proved it to us, and then he laid his life down to raise up others, and then he committed the entire kingdom to 12, and then to 120. So basically, Paul turns to Timothy, and he says this one thing, commit to developing others. Let me take you to 2 Timothy 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. And the things that you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. A hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, and the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Starts with, be strong in the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. Can I just say, I don't care who says what, I don't care how much they ask you to do, I don't care which goal they set in the kingdom, you cannot get there but with a firm anchored, anchoring in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment you step off of grace and you get into the, the gospel of works, you're in trouble. Paul says to Timothy, the very first thing you need to understand is you need to be strong in the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. I want you to be anchored. I want you to be rooted. I want this gospel of God's grace to be soaked down to the bone. I want you to be able to preach it. I want you to be able to explain it. I want you to be able to teach it. And I never want you to go very far from it. Because anything else I'm telling you, Timothy, it starts at this foundation. You must be strong in the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. Amen. Not your efforts. It's not religious thoughts. It's not legalism. It's grace. You must be able to speak it and expound it and share it, but mostly live it. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Paul says, Timothy, you've been with me. We've walked around. We've walked into 20, 30 cities, and you've seen me preach this gospel. You've seen the Jews whip me five times. You've seen me beaten with rods three times. You were there when they stoned me. You know what the cost is, but I'm telling you, Timothy, the things that you've heard me say in public, I want you to take those things, that gospel, that truth, which is pure and right, and I want you to go and I want you to find some faithful people, and I want you to commit that which I, you've heard me say in the presence of many, I want you to commit it to some faithful people so that they can go out and continue to preach this gospel. Because the hidden message here is it's not just about me handing it to you, Timothy. It's about you running with it and then you handing it to somebody else. Commit yourself to training and developing others. But hold true to this message. Because the temptation of every generation is to make everything new. It's astounding to me how we think that the people who came before didn't really know anything. 
How do you think we got here? Be on the lookout for faithful people. Entrust this message to them. Entrust it to them and teach them because you find out what you really know when you have to teach it. Now, the challenge of finding faithful people is that they need to be eager. They need to be leaning forward. You can't force this gospel on somebody. Paul said, I was entrusted with this gospel. I was found faithful. God found me faithful, and then he entrusted me with this gospel. And Timothy, I entrusted this gospel to you, and I appointed you, and I laid my hands on you, and I prophesied over you, and you've been preaching the same gospel. He says, now, Timothy, my command to you, my commission to you is go and find some other faithful people that you can entrust this gospel to commit this message that you heard me say again and again in public. I want you to commit it to some faithful people and I want you to teach them how that they can preach it further. Paul in his lifetime probably preached to about 100,000 people. Paul since he's been dead has preached to billions through his writing. We could bounce, we could get in a plane every week, bounce around to some other part of the world, proclaim the gospel to large groups of people. But God has a desire. More than one or two people highly gifted at communicating to large crowds, better, better by far is to have a whole church fully immersed in the gospel and ready to go and preach it. Better than that is that same group of people ready to commit themselves to develop others to preach it. Because the moment we go from one person multiplying into a whole church, that's impressive. The moment we go into hundreds of people committing to multiply into thousands and then hundreds of thousands. This eagerness, this faithfulness, this Fire in the eyes. It's like a fire shut up in my bones, said Jeremiah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm somebody who wants to preach the gospel. And, and you can look around the church. You can find faithful people like that. You can, that hunger, it doesn't, it's not something you have to force on them. It comes from inside of them. I want to serve God. I want my life to count. I want to bless. I want to serve my king. I spent my first half trying to be successful. I'm spending the second half trying to be significant. I want my life to count for God. I want to be significant. Well, then embrace this gospel and start commit yourself to start preaching it and training others to do the same. There's people here waiting for someone to notice them. And let me just say, if, you, if you're one of those people... Yeah, you can make yourself noticeable just by the shiny eyes and the hunger and you show up at places and teach me. That works with me. People say, hey, I'd like to see you. I go, great, call me. Because it's hard if you're the senior pastor of the church, if I call somebody and say, I'd like to see you, it's very difficult for them to say, no. So if I make the move, I'm never sure whether they actually want to be there. Hey, could I see you? Uh, yes. But if they call me and say, I'd like to see you, 
And I'm pretty sure they want to be there. That make sense? Young people, you're waiting for the older people to notice you. I'm pretty sure if you went up to them and said, could I meet with you? You'd find them going, yeah, I'd like that. I'll make space for you. That's why hungry people turn out to be faithful people. Because you show your faithfulness by your hunger. Barclay said in his Bible study, it's not only a privilege to receive the Christian faith, it's a duty to transmit it. Every Christian must look on himself as a link between two generations. E.K. Simpson writes, on this passage we just looked at, the torch of the heavenly light must be transmitted unquenched from one generation to another, and Timothy must count himself as an intermediary between the apostolic and later ages. We and every generation stand between what is past and what is to come. We need to lean our hearts to those who have gone before, and we need to lean forward and give all we can to those who are going to follow us. Paul says to Timothy, draw on your heritage of faith. Draw on your heritage of faith. Second Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He said, listen, I want you to draw on that heritage. Your grandmother, your mother, a woman of great faith, and they handed it down to you. And he said, I've seen it growing in you and I laid my hands on it. Now, Tim, draw on that heritage. There are some things that you're going to learn from those who've gone before you that they're going to save you years and years of pain. They'll save you if you will have an ear to hear, if you'll draw on their faith. If you'll sit down with them and say, could you teach me? Could you tell me? I was at Bible college. I had had no money. I didn't have two cents to rub together, but there was a prophet and and I I went to him and and said, "Could, could I just... Can I book you into a hotel? Can we just go out Friday night and Saturday morning? I just want to hang out with you. Can I just want to ask questions? He said, you don't have to book me into a hotel. We could just do it here at the church. I go, okay. But I was so hungry. Because here you have somebody who hears God and who's, who had planted churches on, on five different continents and had, had, had uh, at that stage, 50 years of ministerial experience. And I got to sit and just learn a little bit from him. And he was happy to tell me. Why wouldn't you want access to that? You can, you can lean on what your parents told you. So I want to ask you, what did your parents teach you? What part of their faith did you think was real and true? What did they tell you about God that you still believe? See, I've seen God move. I've been in meetings where God showed up. I, I've, we've trusted God for some things and he's, he's, he's revealed himself to us. And that's deep in us. We've earned that truth. We earned that revelation. We fought blood. We, we stood. We, we trusted God and he showed up and he showed us who he is. Now that's a treasure for us. It may not be a treasure for you, but it could be. What do you know? What do you know is true about God? So I've got a few things I could tell you. 
You can take it to the bank. This is who he is. And I didn't learn it in theory. I learned it in smoke and on the battlefield through blood and sweat and faith. And he showed up and I've seen him. And just about everybody in this room can say that true. You've been there. You know stuff about God. And the people who come behind us, they're waiting. And we could pass a baton to them. But we can reach out with that. And if they, they don't have their hands up, nothing happens. It's not a great connection. It requires both of us. Young people, ask. As for you, continue, 2 Timothy 3, in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. 2 Timothy 1, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. If you don't, if you don't imbibe it, if you don't take it to yourself, if you don't let it settle in your heart, what other people have learned, you're destined to go back and have to rerun the same race because you wouldn't take their word for it. My previous church, when we arrived, it was a tiny little church. We grew it, it grew, and we built a road. There was nothing there but bush, and we leveled the ground, and we dug up the rocks, and we carved our way through the mountain. We built a road. We put asphalt down. We made this highway, and uh, it was great. And then other people came down the highway. What took us you know, six years to build, they could do in about six minutes. Because when we came, it was just bush, and we had to cut our way through the mountain. But now it's all perfectly done, and they come screaming down the highway. It took us six years, took them six minutes. And you're welcome, by the way. And the guy who took over the church from me goes, like, oh, why didn't you do this? Okay, because when I came here, there was nothing. Stop whining at me. Why didn't you? Okay, you're whining because you don't like the painting on the road. Paint it. Well, master what has been passed down to you. When somebody gives you something, practice it, master it, think about it, work hard at it. Why? Because this is too important for us not to do this with. You think, that, you think that the Lord's been working for thousands of years, bringing light, pushing back darkness, driving back the force of this gospel, this kingdom is an ever-increasing kingdom. The anointing, the glory of God on the church is ever-increasing glory from one degree of glory to the next. God intends for a growth. He intends for more light. He intends for the kingdom to continue to expand. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. So the scripture says, That means imbibe everything people have given you and take it further. There are some things that God is going to be bringing back to the church that I'm not sure we're going to see in our lifetime. But I'm telling you, there's a glory coming back to the church. God's going to restore healing back to the church. It's going to be so normal in every church, not just the charismatic ones. It's going to be so normal in every church. Of course God brings healing. Because in the 1800s, people getting saved in the church was unheard of. 
until the, the great awakening happened and people finally began to preach that you can get saved and people would cry out that there were mourners benches and people would agonize for three days in repentance before they could get saved. They pushed back dockers, they made a way so now people could start getting saved. So now in the 50s, you can have stadium fulls of people. When evangelist gives an altar call and hundreds and thousands of people come get saved. Easy peasy. Why? Did God change his ways? No, the church woke up to a truth. Somebody pioneered that and somebody believed him and honored it. And now, now people getting saved in churches is, well, yeah, it's what God does, right? Well, God wants to bring healing. God wants to do miracles. In every church, normal. Huh. I've run out of time. And he closes with this. Pass it along. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others who will be qualified to teach others. What do you know about God? And who can you tell? You commit this to faithful people who will be ready to teach others. What do you know and who can you tell? If you happen to be younger, what do you need and who could teach it to you? What do you need? Who could teach it to you? What do you know and who can you tell? What do you need and who can teach you? One minute. We're just going to play. I'm going to ask you to just ask the Lord. Because the tiniest action is better than the greatest intention. Tiniest action is better than the greatest intention. If you walked out of this message and you did one thing, that would be better than not doing anything. If you went to one person and said, I'd like to spend some time with you because there's some things I, I feel like I want to share with you. I want to tell you my story. I want to tell you who God is and I'd like to pray for you because I think the Lord wants to do some profound things for you. And some of you need to go to some people and say, you know, I, I think I need your help. Could, could, you, could you spare me some time? Because I have some questions. I, I need you to help me. You be strong in the grace that's yours in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, commit that to faithful people. It will be good to go and preach others. Let's just listen, just for one minute. See what the Lord says to you.